RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. Hamish and Amy Belsky are tough, resilient, commercially hard-nosed South Otago farmers, and uh, they are a leading regenerative farming couple and uh, some of the founders of the Methane Science Accord, which had us interested. So Hamish Belsky joins us now um, from that part of the world to talk more about this. Hamish, welcome to RCR. Thanks for coming on. Oh, it's a pleasure, Paul. Great to be here. Tell us what is the Methane Science Accord, please. Tell us what that is. I guess it's just a bunch of farmers and scientists and um, uh, who've just come together to pull the science, um, look behind the scenes, the research, and say, what does the actual science say about methane? And how does that affect New Zealand's policy and how it affects New Zealand's farmers and how it actually affects all of New Zealanders by the amount of you know, credits that we're going to have to pay, which is in the billions, and the effect that it has if they bring in taxes on, on um, cattle and sheep uh how that will affect local rural business um affects everybody in new zealand and so the methane science accord came together to say no this has to be fought because it's based on ideology and um flawed research just to suit um a political narrative and that's not just the new zealand political narrative that's a global political narrative and um and i think new zealand is so unique in the fact that we're just all pasture based livestock farming and most of the world is grain fed or or, or barn raised um so everything gets lumped in with that and i think we're very very separate from that and we're a great story and we're actually um you know it's, it's a, a farming way or system that's actually probably the most sustainable in the world you say that you reject the GWP 100 standard, is it, for measuring methane as outdated and unscientific. Tell us about that standard and why is it outdated and unscientific, just so we can get our heads around that. Uh, well, we don't actually reject it. The um, IPCC, the Inter-Panel Government, uh, IPCC, Climate Change, all the scientists together, um, globally, they're the ones that have said in their report, the AR6 report, which came out two years ago, and they have these series of reports over time, over decades actually. And on page 1016 of chapter 7, it says expressing methane emissions as CO2 equivalent of 28 overstates the effect on global surface temperature by a factor of 300 to 400%. And that in that context is when the you know your livestock are actually reducing. So since 2006, New Zealand's livestock numbers have reduced. So we can use that in our context um, very clearly. And so we're just we're just bringing that information out into the light. But um, wow, once it's in law. Um, you know, that's they don't want to hear it. So we'll just keep fighting because we're fighting for, for our business and everybody else and our children. I mean, they they want um, the ability to have a the freedom to go farming in the future and we want a, a pros, prosperous communities and, and nations. So for, for, for 
that to be jeopardized on the basis of irrelevant and outdated metrics is just ideology. Okay, so where does that... It's interesting how people stick to ideology over, what, do we say the science? (laughs) You know, it doesn't kind of, in the end, seem to sway them. Um, Of course it doesn't sway them, because if you really want an outcome, which is to to rid livestock of um, this planet or, or reduce it to a really small number, then you come up with anything that backs up your your plan or your narrative um it, it's no different to any other um any other push of of any scientific substance that's you know pushed out onto the human race it, it all comes back to um we need this at all costs so i mean let, let me let me just go back a step and and look at the big picture okay um at the moment everybody wants sustainability and so I go to the Collins Dictionary and I, I look up sustainability. Let's start there, okay? Okay, good idea. This. What does it say? What does it tell okay. us? Okay, of economic development or energy sources. So it's just talking about our resources. It has to be capable of being maintained at a steady level without exhausting natural resources or causing ecological damage. So... When I look at sheep and beef farming or dairy farming or just livestock farming in general, what they do is they take solar energy captured by pasture and the cattle and the sheep harvest that pasture by themselves. Right. No fossil or, or, or oil energy required. Now, to me, that is the most sustainable system that has been going on for thousands of years. And when people talk about nature – Livestock, eating grass is nature. I mean, there's nothing more pure or more natural than that. What humans have done is that we've intensified our farming systems by the use of diesel. And so when we were, um, 30% of our farm was arable, growing wheat and barley and oats, um, a few years ago until we understood um the, the the extra diesel use or fossil fuel use which they're trying to reduce i think they're trying to reduce it i'm not sure paul um on one hand they want sustainability but then they want to increase more plant-based um diets and agriculture so anyway to to get it um to sum it up we were using about 200 liters of diesel per hectare with arable a ton of synthetic fertilizer per hectare plus about four to five chemical sprays per hectare. And we were like, and we weren't really making any money from it. So we said, right, let's go right back and increase our ewe and cattle numbers, sheep and cattle numbers. And now we use about 20 litres of diesel per hectare. And our uh, our animals are now converting the solar energy via the sun um, into what we deem as superfood. And let me assure you, the more meat the human race can get their hands on, the healthier they are. And yeah, we can't yeah. – we feed our children meat and milk. I've just come back from milking a house cow, and so the milk goes into the bucket and into our mouths. No fossil energy required. 
And so the dairy industry, who supplies highly nutritious superfood, milk and cheese and every other product that comes from it, is um, it, it's an absolute, you know, if a corporate tried to invent a machine that harvested grass for, with no diesel, it would become multi-billionaire. And so the, but the milk has to be dried, and so for us to make export money, it's dried. And to dry it requires um, fossil energy, coal or gas. And so it's not the cow that is the problem. It's not the sheep that are the problem. And again, nitrogen fertilizer is is produced by high rates of fossil energy, natural gas. And so when we drive up stocking rates, we're using more nitrogen fertilizer more um, outside inputs like um, silage and stuff that comes onto the farm, all driven by diesel. And so I, I'm struggling to understand how a cow and a sheep um, is a climate villain. And so when, when it all comes back to it, all this metrics nonsense about um, – methane and our, our, our millions of dollars of investment in trying to reduce the natural, naturally made methane in a ruminant is just chasing rainbows and unicorns. And, and, and I guess what we're just trying to do, we're trying to beat them with their own science. And over time, we're also trying to make people understand the folly of it all. And, and hopefully over time, you see, when you get to an energy crisis, when diesel becomes really, really expensive and short of supply, suddenly the methane from an animal becomes irrelevant because all you want is cheaper food and you want inflation to go away, whereas at the moment um, everyone's going through a cost of living crisis, as they say, purely because energy is restricted and um, and that, that drives up the price. And so when we get to a point where people can't afford it, then... Um, New Zealand's meat and milk will become very appealing. Well, you've just made it pretty clear. I mean, even I get that. So um, the contrast that you made, um, just so I get it right in my mind, is whoever is infected with this ideology would much rather see all that diesel burnt in um, creating that hectare that you talked about, um, arable hectare, Um, all that energy burned to make the the fertiliser that goes on it. Yes, and all the energy that goes to harvesting it, right, yes. and getting it to market. <laughs> yes. So that's completely overlooked. It's like that doesn't exist. But fixating right. instead the, the, on the methane from the beasts, animals, and so this is what I'm confused about. So when I asked, so am I. Our tr- our trade CEO Vitalis, are uh, is the burning of fossil fuels or diesel sustainable? He couldn't answer. When I asked Todd McClay, is the, be- the burning of diesel sustainable? He couldn't answer it. And when when you said, say couldn't answer it, like literally couldn't answer. Literally, they said, no, I can't answer that. Well, we should be able to answer and that, then shouldn't you, if you're espousing things. Well, is a cow sustainable? That was the other question. So if a cow has been around for thousands of years and a cow will exist for the next thousands of years – that's the definition of sustainable, like you can just carry on forever. So if the cow is sustainable 
and D, and so then I say, then they can't answer about the diesel. Is that sustainable? Then I said, why are we trying to reduce it? Um, because it's causing climate change. But on one hand, you want to be sustainable. But on the other hand, you want to reduce diesel. So I, it's a, is it is it called a dichotomy? I don't know what it is, but they cannot answer those fundamental questions. And so you've now got sustainability offers of all these offices of corporates and big companies, sustainability manager. And when you start to ask these questions, they don't know how to answer it. And then you go, okay, so what metrics, so this is to our banks, on what metrics are you measuring us by to, to say we're good or bad? And they go, oh, no, that's a little bit complex for now. We're not too sure. So there's For actually, now. <laughs> they, for now. They, they don't know. And so they come up with these know your numbers. So for farming, we've got to do these carbon calculator numbers. And I'm like, but the numbers are wrong. Because if you overstate it by 28 times, then suddenly we've dropped our number um, yeah, through the floor. Through the, you're already there. Yeah, you're already yeah, there. Said, yeah. Okay, we're already done. Um, just with one metric, we've already achieved any targets you guys want to throw at us. So let's move on. But but oh no, it's 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 never it's never good enough because it doesn't fit the bigger narrative. And this is what we're trying to make aware to to the public um, and also to policymakers that carry this on at your peril. Because in the end, it's built on a foundation of sand and will fall over because truth eventually comes out. And please, um, you can you can argue all your lot all you like, but our point is to say to farmers, just don't do your numbers because if they don't, if we all don't do it, what are they? Yeah, don't do? don't comply, right? Just don't, don't comply. comply. Don't 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 become involved in this because you the numbers the energy and time you're putting into these calculators are wrong. So you're wasting our time and you're wasting our, our money. And this is the other thing what people don't understand, Paul, about methane. A cow and a sheep create no extra uh, carbon. They're carbon neutral. So most people don't understand that. So they eat the carbon from the pasture, which has been sucked out of the atmosphere. That carbon is then put into growing them into their meat, Etc., and also some of that carbon is used to break down the micro, uh, the the pasture that the microbes use to break it down. And nothing else in this world breaks down pasture and turns it into human superfood. Yeah, so right. it's an absolutely beautifully designed system. Um, but that methane is then belched out, and all methane is is one part carbon, four parts hydrogen, carbon, and water. Wow. So yeah, that's, as, that's, as, that, that's as at the bottom of everything as you can get almost on the elementary <laughs> table or whatever, <laughs> isn't it? That, those are the fundamental building blocks of the universe, aren't they? Yeah. And so, so it goes into the atmosphere, and then after 10 years or so, um, the, the hydrogen gets whipped off the carbon atom and the carbon then goes back into the pasture. And gets recycled again. And gets recycled. And I'm like... That's sustainability uh, right there, isn't it? It's complete sustainability. And if there is some sort of warming impact for a decade, well, that decade, this decades ago New Zealand had that warming impact 
And and we're we're now reducing, so we're actually calling if you want to talk in their terms. And and look, please understand that I I we cut as as humans again, we cut way too much native bush down and we just denuded our landscape to put on um to farm. This is just not just animals, but it's it's um crops, vegetables, whatever. Yeah. But we can't do anything about that at the moment and look um i'm annoyed and a lot of us are annoyed but let's work out how to go from here and come up with solutions well what can we do about that that was a historical thing based on the times and uh, the knowledge that was available and the lifestyles that people had been living for millennia before that so unfortunate but that's just the way it was always going to be right it's done and it's interesting that governments and banks and regional councils all promoted intensity and like conversion to dairy, um, chopping down of native forests, all of that. So we're all part of it, okay? So let's not just blame farmers here. So farmers get thrown under the bus all the time for just producing. Like New Zealand produces beautiful natural food that is so nutrient dense and surely the world humans. wants that right the world wants that <laughs> I, um, it's what the world wants that that's what the world wants isn't it that sort of food the world wants more of that but not only that they want it from from stuff that's been pasture raised yeah and which is what we do because it's the lowest form of carbon farming like it, we we use the least amount of diesel per kg of product or per hectare whatever it is and yes dairy is more intense than sheep and beef but but the cow's not the cow has no say in how intense it's not running on a diesel generator is it (laughs) the cow doesn't run the farm it's it's a human so if you're gonna tax anything tax the, the 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 products or the vehicles that drive intensity which is nitrogen fertilizer so have a no tax for a certain amount of nitrogen fertilizer and then tax higher as you use more. And it's a really simple, easy, but you come out, the industry comes out and says, oh, what do they say? Um, oh, you're, you're stifling innovation. Or Todd McClay comes out and he says, we're not going to put on a stupid fertilizer tax. Then I ask him, so you think a tax on livestock's a good tax? You know, and suddenly it's like, oh, well, no. Then they so these people and... are just parroting things they've heard. They haven't obviously thought deeply or or, or sought out, you know, uh, information that's available. They haven't even talked to people like you. Is this where regenerative farming can sort of offer the solution to those synthetic inputs that we've been talking about? So um, it's, it's a great question, and – you know, in 2016, I learned about the the principles of regenerative farming or ag, whatever you want to call it. And, th- and those principles are just sound ecological principles of having no bare soil, having a living root in the, past, the ground at all time, which is, I mean, roots is what builds soil carbon. And if you've got bare soil, you're losing carbon and you're losing sediment. Um, what else was there? Diversity of plants. So, you know, we just add more clovers and pastures and herbs into our pasture mixes, nothing revolutionary. And then we um we we then mob up our a- animals and instead of having 10 mobs around the farm, we have two mobs now and we rotational graze them like a dairy farm. And um 
And so those are the principles of Regene Ag. But the problem is, is that it gets hijacked by by groups like Greenpeace and then politicians get on the bandwagon and then they try and define it and they come up with their own definitions, which then um, then take away the freedom of what we're trying to do anyway. And so we we get attacked as a regenerative farmer for using glyphosate, which we don't want to use glyphosate. We still use nitrogen fertilizer. So if you use nitrogen fertilizer, you're not a regenerative farmer. All these things. But people have to understand that so much of our problems or our, that we face now almost go back to so let's say 1972 where the dollar got separated from the gold standard so you could print money and now land's value rockets up so now amy and i as a family we need to borrow a whole lot more money just to get our own land and run a a um big enough to make enough money you know if it's too small yeah yeah you need to work off farm and it's, you know, hard work and, and we can't b- borrow too much or, or get too big because we haven't got enough cash or, or or money saved up and invested. So the whole time you're up against the whole system, the monetary system, the oil system, and I don't want to use chemicals or, or nitrogen fertilizer, but we have to grow a good crop when we grow a crop to winter our animals on, on a kale or sweet brassica crop. And so we're compromising all the way. There's trade-offs in every decision we make. So what I enjoy about regenerative farming or the, the brand or whatever you want to call it is it's not restricted by rules. So we've contemplated organic farming, but organic farming is so constricted by rules that you end up dropping your production too much or you compromise the health of your stock or the health of your crop just for another human construct. And I think if people want cheaper food and um, but they want everything but nobody wants to pay for it um, and all we are trying to survive as a business with high debt, high mortgage, high interest rates, high interest payments, and so – as much as we'd like to be spray-free, chemical-free, right. yeah. it does not stack up in reality. And we've dropped our production, I reckon, probably 10% to 20% below some of the really top high-input operators. And um, and so you have to, going down the regenerative route, there is going to be a drop in production, not as much as organic. But that has huge consequences for for a nation or for a large body of people, just like what happened in Sri Lanka when they said, right, we're all going organic. Yeah. Yeah. Production dropped overnight. Suddenly you've got a um, – can't pay for your imports and you're broke. Like th- yeah. these are the, the holistic goals or you've got to think of all the unintended cons- consequences of what we're doing on our farms, what we're doing. And so if people want true sustainability – we all have to get out of the country, uh, the cities, and go and buy a few hectares of land, have our yeah. own sheep, our own cattle, our own vegetables. Because as I say to people, unless you grow your own food and supply your own energy, please don't point the finger at me or other right. farmers. Yeah. Yes, there are so many things that we, we can improve on with our sediment loss and our you know, inputs and all that sort of thing. But you can't change a system 
in a few years. It takes decades. It took centuries to get here, or a lot of decades. It's going to take decades to change. And I, I just would love to sit down with, um, I don't know what you call them, experts, or and have a discussion about this experts. and actually talk about the realities of what's actually going on on our farms and the in, interconnectedness of transport processing. I mean, if people don't want diesel, well, you won't get your food delivered to you, and there's no other option. And if That's we right. want to go all if we want to go all hydrogen, we have to double the amount of electricity produced in New Zealand. Now that might be okay if we build another ten dams, okay? But that's not going to happen. Well, people don't want of, dams. They don't want a dam. No, people don't want dams. And the rest of the world's electricity is generated either from oil or nuclear. It's not generated like New Zealand's off hydro. And if we want to build um, windmills and solar energy, it's all produced out of oil makes these products. So they're called rebuildables, not renewables. And the products going into these batteries and stuff are all from non-renewable resources. Yeah, it's, it's, it's so... So again, if you want to go back to the fundamental definition of sustainability, then nothing we're doing on this earth is sustainable. All right? right. Let's just be upfront about that. And I'm happy with that. I'm really pleased we, oil came along because it's made my life Hang of a lot easier, your life, Paul, a lot easier, and you don't have to be out on the land growing your own vegetables and your own meat to survive. Now, that's no. a call, but let's be honest. A couple of um, final questions um, when it comes to the attitude that there is to farming at the moment. I know you say it's, it's sort of ideological. People are captured by ideology. There seems to be in that ideology – a kind of resentment towards people who farm. Have you picked that up? Of course I'll pick that up. It's, well, I had to ask, but, you know. It's amazing. I mean, I went to a lecture in a, at Otago University. I've, I've spent a few days talking to students at Otago University, and we had a PhD student present his, um, I don't know what he called thesis or something, and it was the all his stats were based off Google of um, grain-fed livestock around the world and the impact that that's having on our planet. And I asked him a whole lot of questions at the end that none of those statistics relate to New Zealand agriculture at all and how regenerative farming, which New Zealand agriculture is as close to re the regenerative principles um, as anywhere else in the world. And anyway, after that, I, I was surrounded by students asking me questions about what's really happening on our farms, okay. and the, once once we discuss face to face, not on Zoom, not in a newspaper, face to face, and and come up with some of these hard, tough questions, we get such great feedback and such good discussion. It, it, it really encourages me. So when I have attacks from people about farming, um, I, I've gone off social media because it's just a complete cop case of um, vitriol and attacks and nobody wants to listen. And so this is probably why I've really enjoyed um, RCR radio and, and, and uh, podcasts because it's more long-term conversation and discussion 
um, that helps people understand as opposed to just throwing stones at each other and um, end up with policy that just cripples everybody with no no outcome. Well, it's clear that there's going to be a change of government. They're negotiating that now, I, I guess. And you've mentioned a few names that you've talked to, and uh, maybe some of them will be players in terms of, you know, um, um, the government sort of um, governing of agriculture and policy in the country. Do you see anyone or anything um, on the horizon here that could be more sensible and realistic about this whole way of farming and you know, the, the idea of taxing methane and, and sort of being captured by, I mean, they're not even beliefs, I suppose. They just accept that um, that information is true and and obviously not doing much work to, to look for anything else. Do you see any hope from this new lot that, um, that we get a bit more rational and sensible about this? No. I, I listened to, to, to Don the other day, and I think it was Don on what I mean, Owen Jennings. Yep summed it up so well that national get in, they put everything on hold, they never repeal anything substantial until Labour gets in and then Labour picks it up and then starts to um, put the draconian, completely crazy regulations and rules and laws into place. And so it just it's just a cycle. To me, to be perfectly honest with you, Paul, I don't even know if I should say it on here, but um, what will probably end up changing things is catastrophe. Okay. So what sort of catastrophe oil, do you think? Just a, a complete energy crisis where suddenly people are no longer worried about the natural biogenic methane from a cow. They're just worried about getting food on their table. Um, yeah. where, where the, you know, all the financial system collapses and you get a whole lot of um, bureaucrats and um, corporates just go under and, and they, you know, it's just a, other, I don't see how you can change the narrative that is so inbuilt. It's at the moment, it's, um, it's fascism. It's, uh, hmm. I've learned, it's quite interesting learning about history, but yeah. the, it's the, the working between state and corporates. So now when they bring in the zero carbon act, they're now putting the, the onus on corporates or companies to then measure their emissions and so now all the our, our, some of our meat companies and you know dairy companies are now um, putting these erroneous figures into their carbon calculators so it tries to make them look better or look like they're doing something and what they call it scope three emissions and scope three emissions is the biggest emitter of a dairy or meat company and it's like get real the biggest emissions are just the diesel drying the milk and the processing of our animals and the transport to get it to market. Yeah, the transport is an obvious one. Yeah, totally. From our farm to the process. It, so I don't know. Um, what, yeah, I, I just think as long as we're really we're 100% comfortable with how we're farming, we've planted a hang of a lot of trees um, all our gullies are now filled with space poplars and shade shelter, land stability. All our little areas have got lots of 
shoulder belts and different species going in. And it's, we want, in the end, our farm to be like a park. But, you know, if you end up taxing us for the methane, there's five to $10,000 from our business before, that's that's before profit, before tax. And then that means we're not planting trees. And so when I ask the politicians or the policymakers, do you want us to plant trees or not? And they'll say, oh, some answer. But then they have the One Billion Trees Program, which plants swaths of productive farming out in pine trees, which is just a, another monoculture yeah. place off a spreadsheet, yeah. which got us a problem in the first place. Um, I'm like, the, the more profit that farmers make, the more we can invest back into our ecosystems. And until we can fundamentally grasp that, we will go backwards in our environment and we will end up going backwards economically as a as a nation. So and we're already funding all this, say, 350 million over the next four years into methane mitigations. That's borrowed money, Paul. It's not it's not a surplus from a country that's got a strong GDP and 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 it's and low and debt. How do you spend yeah. that much money? In, in a little old Kiwi land. I mean, what sort of work, you know, do you have to do to burn up that sort of money? One thing I've learned since I've, I mean, I've run our own business for the last 10 years is that once you run a business and every bit of your income is so hard fought, everything you spend is just calculated and, and scrutinized so closely. But as a manager before that, just didn't have that worry. You know, we had a bit of a budget. If we went over budgets, oh, well, that was the way it was. But these people that are in government don't run businesses, and so it's it's just all this money that's not theirs, and no one's accountable. So this government leaves, nothing's accountable, no, no outcomes were achieved. In fact, all the outcomes that I looked at this government wanted are all worse, yeah. but no one has to pay out of their own pocket. And so... And uh, it's just a fundamental. Because you buy the establishment with that sort of money, don't you? Who who in the science community is going to turn down grants of millions of dollars? They'll sell their souls for that, won't they? So uh, that's a really good example. So our scientists in Beef and Lamb, New Zealand, and now for the last 30 years, there is no other industry probably in New Zealand that has been more efficient at, I think it was um, we had 70 million ewes or sheep. Now we have about 22, 23 million, and we've only dropped 20% in our output. I mean, it's extraordinary the amount of gains we've made in efficiency. So every bite of pasture, they're putting out nearly the same as they were in 1990. And our scientists and our beef and lamb used to just spout that from the rooftops on how amazing our scientists and our farmers and our breeders were in combination to deliver that. Now, they're trying to tell us that, oh, no, but our sheep are a whole lot bigger, this and that, and they're trying to justify why we need to spend all this money on the methane research, putting our sheep into gas chambers and poor old <laughs> breeder has to spend money and time doing all this to, to try and reduce this unicorn gas. And I'm like, how, how do you how do you even just justify a doing that? But gee, 
but B, trying to justify all this money that's been thrown at you. So, for instance, they we do it at a big low input, so a, a big trial, which see what breeds or what genetics would handle no drenches and no dagging and just real core um, management that farmers really want to improve on. But they only got it across the line because they had to measure the methane output of all these sheep. So everything, all the money is coming through our channels to do methane research and everything is tacked on uh, on, on the side. So the scientists aren't going to say, oh, well, it's actually not really that worth it, Paul. Um, you know, th- they will justify it because at the end of the day, they get well paid and then, then they retire and then, um, yeah, their mm. job's done. They sail they off into the sunset. Is, yeah. We, we just, we farmers and breeders, we're the absolute brunt of it. And like I said to you before, if all of us just said no, we're not going to do it. It, it would stops. fall over. It would fall over. It just falls it? over. We, yeah. yeah. So anyway, fear fear drives the human population. That's what I've learned in the last three years. And as you know well. We know. Yeah. <laughs> it's been really interesting chatting with you, Hamish. Thanks for coming on Reality Check Radio. A lot to think about there. From someone who's right there doing it. So we appreciate that. And if people want to go and find out more about the Methane Science Accord, I think there's um, a website, isn't there? It is methane dash or space or hyphen accord.co.nz, and they can find out more about that from there. Yeah, so please, I, I, I really encourage everyone to go on there and just push the sign up button. You're not nothing more than that. Just sign up, put your name in there, because we just want just hundreds of thousands of names, and then we've got. Um, wait behind us to go to policymakers and saying, look, we've got support um, and it's not hard to support us, but it tell you what, it's hard work trying to fight this fight, um, you know, to, to try and expose the emperor who has no clothes on. Not wearing anything. All right, Hamish Belsky, South Otago farmer. All the best. Thanks for coming on RCR. Thanks, Paul. Loved it. RCR with Paul Brennan. Reality Check Radio.